Well, thank you very much for letting me come. I, uh, they let me come a couple of times a year, and I uh, just want to let you know I'm just a dad. And uh, I'm just like you. I sit in the pew, uh, you know, most weeks. But uh, I do love the Word of God. I love to think about the Word of God. And I love to bring the Word of God. And today we get to talk about pretty much one of the toughest passages in all of Scripture. So let's read it first. Then we're going to pray. And we're going to take a submarine dive. So let's talk. If you have your Bibles with you, open it up to the middle of your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 13 to 18. Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon around 1000 B.C. And here's our text for the day. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. And when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and, let go of, and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Let's pray. God, before we become, uh, come before this text, we, was, we just ask, Lord, for your... Grace and compassion, Lord, I, I feel the weight of it. And, Lord, I pray that as we give it today, that, Lord, as we hear your words, that, Lord, we will be able to take them in. And, Lord, we're talking about probably the toughest subject that we know of, and that's dealing with the difficult. And I pray, Lord, that your son Jesus would just be beside us and comfort all of us in the stages of life that we find ourselves in. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I tell you, um, I do feel a great weight of burden at being here and talking today. And the pastors and teachers that have come to you each week tell you the same thing. And I'm sure you're probably getting tired of hearing it in that, wow, Ecclesiastes is hard. You know, Luke was written by a Gentile, very straight line, very Western European. It was a Greek way of writing. It was very, it was very uh, systematic. It was orderly. It was neat. It was tidy. Ecclesiastes is written by Hebrew, which all Hebrew writers have ADD on steroids. They just, they, they talk in circles. You kind of never know where they're going. They're always bouncing all around. They do get to the point eventually, but it takes them a while. And they never cover one subject all at one time. And here we're going to be talking about some of the most difficult things that we have to talk about. You will not hear this sermon at, at Cannon Beach Conference Center. You will not hear this sermon on a retreat. A sermon where we find out why good things happen to bad people, why bad things happen to good people, why good people die quick and, long, and bad people live way too long. You're not going to hear a candy stick sermon on that. That's just one you kind of put off to the side and let the preacher take care of on a Sunday morning when no one's listening. But on the retreat, oh, you are listening. Oh, good. I try to slip them in there. Woo. Okay. And, uh, and so today, though, we get to talk about Ecclesiastes. And the thing about preaching through the Bible is that if you preach through you're going to hit the good stuff, the bad stuff, and everything in between stuff. And today is probably going to be the toughest subject I have ever preached on in 30 years. So here's what we want to take a look at. In preparation for today, we have to take a look at the Ecclesiastes was written a thousand years ago by King Solomon. And Pastor Bob has given all the teachers and pastors the opportunity to have a commentary. It's a great commentary. I would encourage everyone to actually go to Amazon, download it on Kindle. It's $9. 
It's Ecclesiastes, Why Everything Matters by Philip Ryken. It's a, it, it really reads smooth. It's actually great. Written in 1998. Chapter 15 devotes the entire chapter to these five verses. And I knew I was in trouble when I started reading the commentary and even Philip Ryken said, whoa, this is tough stuff. I, don't, I feel unqualified to talk about this. I'm going to defer this one to my favorite theologian. And so instead of giving his own thoughts about difficulties, Philip Ryken brings in his favorite theologian, Thomas Boston, who lived in uh, northern Scotland from 1776 to, uh, 1676 to 1732. And the reason that Thomas Boston is able to talk about troubles in a way that maybe m many of us can't is for 30 years he labored in northern Scotland and, and uh, he and his wife had, tw had 10 kids, six of whom died before the age of five. His wife battled mental illness and physical illness her whole life. He battled depression his whole life. And, and uh, Thomas Boston was busy writing this sermon, and shortly after he wrote these, uh, these thoughts, he died. This is his last sermon before he went to see Jesus. So here's a man who's lived a life of trouble, writes about trouble, and then goes and sees Jesus, and I think it's something that we need to take to heart. But here's my problem, is that whenever we talk about trouble, you and I, whenever we're talking to a one-on-one -on -one to people, we're always going to maybe craft the message to the person that we're talking to. See, if I'm talking to someone who I know is going through a good season of life, I'm gonna, I can talk with trouble in a different kind of way. So one of the things that I kind of ask you, I ask me, is I ask, you know, what season are you in? And in a group like this, whether you're here at Gateway or whether you're listening to us on the podcast, I know that there are some people for whom this is the kind of season of life that you're in. God has put you in a place that seems to be green. It's growing, there's suns coming through, and you're walking through life, and you know it's okay. And you know what? If you're in that season of life, the stuff we have to talk about is still going to be troubling. It's still going to be tough. But what would make it even tougher is if you're in a season of life that might look a little like this. The leaves aren't green. It's got its own kind of color and beauty in its own way, but you can kind of feel winter's chill in the air. There's a certain sense that leaves are dying and kind of thing. And if you're in that stage, what we're going to talk about today could be even tougher. But here's what, I'm, here's what I've been worrying about for weeks and praying for compassion from God is, is that what happens, and I'm sorry this came through so dark, is this is a forest scene. You're supposed to be able to see the... Uh, the, the the road there, but for some of you, it just seems dark. You haven't seen the sun in months, and you have no idea why you're there, and you have no idea how you got there, and you've been praying to God, and you have no idea when you get out. And if you're to listen to things today, it just might tip you over. This is not the kind of message that you came to hear, but we're going through the Bible, and here we're going to ask God to help us. And you know, I want to just take a quick pause and talk to you just for a moment. When uh, In 2013, I lost my dad to cancer. And from diagnosis to death, it was a one-year time period. And you know, in that time period, Gateway was great. My friends were great. But you know, I got the same, I got the same comments from all my friends. They gave me the same verses. You know, all things work together for good. Can I all go when you go through troubles? All those things that you hear, they say, hey, I got a great verse for you. Bam. It's like, oh, I just heard that 14 times from someone else. Just had it on my Facebook page. And it's like, 
you know what? It, it got kind of old after a while. My mom and I read a book by John Dunlop, uh, Dr. John Dunlop, um, about six months before my dad died. It was very helpful. It was called Living Life Well to the Glory of God, Strategies from an Emergency Room Christian Doctor. And in it, he said this. He says, I see people living and dying every day. And Christians are some of the worst at giving comfort to those in need. He said this. He said, when someone's in need, you can buy the book, but I'll just give you the, the short story right up front. He said this, when someone's hurting, don't give them a verse. Don't give them a meme. Don't give them a little quip. You just look them in the eye, sit down, be real quiet, and just look them in the eyes and just say, I am so sorry. Quiet. You know, that little piece of advice has helped me a lot because whenever something comes across my Facebook feed, I just say, I'm so sorry. No verse, no quip, no little meme, no sermon, just I'm sorry. And you know what? I always get good vibes back from those people. So if that's your stage, if that's where you're at right now, I just want to say from the teaching pastors at Gateway, I just want to say I'm sorry. I really am. But if you can hang with me for a little bit longer, we're going to take 20 minutes and we're going to dive deep. It's going to get worse for 20 minutes. Then it's going to hit the bottom. I'll tell you when we hit the bottom. Okay? You'll be glad when we do. And then we're going to spend about 20 minutes and we're going to come back up. And if you can just hang with me, I'd like you to give you the sermon that Thomas Boston gave in 1732 called The Crook in the Lot. But before we do, I want to give us our theme verse for, uh, for today. I'd like it to come out of Ecclesiastes, but I'm just going to tell you right now that King Solomon is pretty pessimistic. If you haven't caught that vibe already, he's a bit pessimistic. I don't like, you know, he's just a little too negative for me. I wish his theme verse could come from these verses, but they don't. So I go to Isaiah 26.3 that says this, and this will be the verse that will guide us through today. It says, you will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And oftentimes when we're in the deepest of trouble, we're looking for answers, and the, and the scriptures tell us to run to a person. And that's hard to hear. So what does Thomas Boston have to say about Ecclesiastes? Here's what he says. First thing he says is observe how God works. And he says this, Ecclesiastes 7.13, consider what God has done, who can straighten what he has made crooked, now, it's a rhetorical question. He's actually saying, you know, how can, how can you straighten out what, what God has made uh, crooked? He's also asking the other question in that um, who, uh, who can make straight what God has bent? And the question is, is that no one can. No one here, God did, God did not plan out your life with your input in mind. That's hard to hear. He didn't ask for your advice. He's not looking for your advice now. We don't like to hear that. And actually, he had the whole thing planned out long before you're here. He's not making things up on the fly. I'm speaking on the fly, but God isn't working on the fly. Big difference. And Thomas Boston said the first thing that you're faced with right up front, something that's very difficult to, to, get, uh, to come into face-to-face -face with, that you'll find all through Scripture is the sovereignty of God. Now, fortunate for Thomas... In 1646, 30 years before he was born, the Westminster Confession of Faith was finally written. It was completed. He would have used this as part of a, of a resource for him. 
was it online or Kindle? But he probably had at least a copy. And here's what it says. It's good for us to know what is the sovereignty of God because we're faced with it in the first verse of our text. And it says this, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordained whatever comes to pass. In other words, he's not asking for your advice. He made this up in all eternity past. He is simply working the plan now and he is not changing it on the way. He has not gotten better at it uh, uh, through the years. He's been good at it ever since he started. And from all eternity past, he had everything all planned out. And for many of us, that is not good news. Quite frankly, we're not, we don't like that. Because all of us have things that we would want to change. Matter of fact, go ahead, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Think about the one thing that you wish you could change in your life. Okay, the one thing, if you could get rid of, thing that you could just be free of, what would that be? Because Thomas Boston asked that question of his parish, and then he said this, but now ask yourself this, what has God done because that has been in your life that couldn't have happened in any other way? And then things start to kind of make a little bit more sense when we realize from Isaiah 55, 9, it says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we come smashing right into the idea that what makes sense to us may not be in any way part of God's plan for our life. And those are hard things to hear, and harder things to live through at the moment or season that you're in. But Thomas Boston came back and he said this, Everybody's lot in this world has some crook in it. There is no perfection here. No lot of heaven without a crook. And you know, all of us, and it may not be, it may not be good news to you to know that everyone's life is broken. Everyone's life stinks. It may not make you feel good because we often do the comparison game. My life stinks more than yours. That's not right, God. Ah! Kind of thing. And you get all mad about it. You just do the comparison game. Well, the thing is, is that in today's text, we're talking about a crook, but God's involved. But if you take a look, if you remember, we've already heard this from King Solomon, and it came back in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15. And he talks about a crook back then. He says, I've seen all things done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. And in the first part, he's dark, he's pessimistic, and it seems irrational and meaningless because God is not mentioned at all around the crook. At least in today's message, the God is all around the crook, and at least there is a some measure of a brightening uh, uh, in, in the tone of King Solomon that it's at least better, that's only going to get better as the uh, book progresses. This is the third time that you're going to hear about the fear of the Lord. But there's four more times coming. It's going to start becoming more repetitive over time. Ecclesiastes 7.13 says, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? God comes in. Thomas Boston ended this way by saying this, Everybody's lot has some crook in it. If God is the one who made the crook in our lot, then we need to see that crook as the work of God which it is vain for us to try and change. So here I'm going to ask you something really hard. 
Do you spend all your time praying to God, how can I change this? How can I get out of this? And why did you do it? Or are you, like Thomas, saying, how do I see the hand of God in what is broken in my life? That is hard to hear. And that's what makes today so difficult. But it's a question that I think we all need to ask because it changes our perspective. It'll change your prayer. It'll change your focus. Just like it did for Thomas Boston, who said there's always a way to praise God. From a man who lost six of his 10 kids before age five. Because he, went, he kept going on to Ecclesiastes 7.14. He said, when times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Now here, Solomon actually takes a look at the world around him and begins to decipher it, begins to put it into two camps, good times and bad times. Right now, I've got a couple of good times sitting right over here in the second pew. I've got two daughters, Grace and Mary, and I love Grace and Mary. They are awesome. And right beside them are two young men that are wanting to marry them with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'll tell you that. They're excited. And you know what? We're excited that they want to marry my daughters. And you know what? There are times in our lives when we're going to have things that are exciting coming into our lives. And King Solomon says, it's okay to be happy. Especially when the young men ask permission of the dad. Praise Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so it feels good. <laughs> and um, Grace and Andrew are getting married in two months, just so you know. It's going to be pretty exciting. So, yeah, it takes us by surprise, too. I caught my breath about a week ago. Woo, that's fast. But that's okay. It's good. But then there are times that things don't go well in your life and mine. And to this, Solomon doesn't say get mad, get panicked, get angry, go to God, demand answers, figure out why, and stand there until he stands up and is a man and tells you what's going on. He says, consider. He says, consider, which is far different. It says, huh. It means, hmm. It means step back. Hold your emotions in check for just a moment. And maybe ask God, what are you up to, rather than what do I want to be up to? Because the word that the Hebrew writer is using here as God has made is the same word that he uses in Genesis chapter 1 to create the whole world to begin with when it was perfect. It's the same word made. And you know what? It's broken because of us. But he's still making the world just the way he wants it. It's with the same design, the same structure, the same engineering that went into the first, uh, first chapter of Genesis is engineering all the way through with complete precision in your life and mine. And at times, that precision in engineering doesn't make sense. Because sometimes you can see the reason behind it, but sometimes you can't. And when you can't see the reason behind it, I think of a person like Job. All of us might have heard the story of Job. He, he was a rich guy. He had a, lot of, he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of kids. And in one day, in one hour, his kids all die. His, his animals all die. Everything goes away. And the messengers come in. It's all over Facebook in about two and a half minutes that everything is gone. And here's what Job has to say when the news comes in, unexpected, without reason, and without any idea that it was coming. Here's what he says. The Lord gave... And the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, when this, ooh, this gets me, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. 
Let me ask you this. When the bad things happen to you, unexpected, with no warning, and no indication of ever ending, do you charge God with wrongdoing? That is my sin, to be honest. Okay, if we're going to be honest here, that is where I kind of get off the rails at times. There have been times that things have happened where I just, I'm yelling at God, and my wife just kind of pulls back and says, whoa, this prayer is getting way out of hand. I'm going to have to step back because if God strikes you with lightning, I'm, I just don't want to get singed. Last night she was right here, and she snorted the whole time. She's like, whoa, that's true. She remembers those times. And you know, that's not good. I'm not telling you that that's the proper response. All I'm telling you is, I know what that feels like. And I bet you do too if you were real with yourself and yet you won't know if you're going to really praise God or not by the things you have or don't have until they're taken away unexpectedly. When you have no time to prepare your response, then what comes out of your heart is really there. And in Job, he had no idea. And if you read the book, it's not like you get the end of the book and you find out why because Job does get his audience with God. And he does try to ask the question, and what does God say to Job? Where were you? Where were you when I made the world? All of a sudden, Job's going to have to stand back. And he says, you know what? Sorry I asked. You know what? You're right. I'm just going to praise you. And God never did give him an answer. And it's going to have to be okay with you and for me. Here's the other thing I'm going to have to say, is that sometimes you will never know why the bad things happen in your life. I wish it was some other way. I wish someone else could preach this message. This is not fun being here. It might not be fun listening to it, and it's excruciating at times to live through it. But there is a God that promises to go through it with you, and that's our hope. Now, sometimes God does give you the opportunity to know about the, or the reason that you're going through trouble. And when that happens, I think of another person whose name is Joseph. Had a lot of bad things happen to him. I don't know if you've been sold into slavery. I don't know if you've served in a dungeon. I don't know if you've been uh, accused of sexual harassment and thrown in jail before. But, you know, years later, I mean, God did not tell him what was going on in the midst of it. It was years later, after it was all said and done, Joseph is standing there with his brothers. And what does Joseph say about the bad things that happened to him? God was gracious and gave him the ability to know what was going on. He said this to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. And there we begin to see a little bit of what God does. There is never a time that God brings trouble into your life that is not without design and purpose. One of the purposes is to refine you. I'm going to say this, that God brings trouble into your life to refine you, never to define you. Satan says, you're a bad person. You're defined by the problems in your life. And quite frankly, if I was God, I'd be harder on you. You're defined by the problems you have. And God comes along and says, no, you are precious to me, and I refine that which is precious to me. And sometimes the only way I can do that are through the troubles that we will walk through together. We'll make memories together. Thomas Boston said this, in all times, can you praise God for having purpose and being in control, whether he reveals that purpose or not? And are you demanding that purpose from God today? That's hard. 
But, then, but up till now, we've been talking about good times and bad times. And there's a slight, um, maybe, assumption that we're making. We've been talking equally about good times and equally about bad times. But Thomas Boston talked about when troubles become even deep, more deeply troubling. And he goes on and talks about it in Ecclesiastes 7.15. He says, in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. The righteous perishing in the righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Now, I don't know if, you make, if that makes you feel any good, but basically he said, the good die young and the evil live a long time. How many people like to see that happen? No, none of us do, really. That doesn't make us feel good at all. So we like to think of it that if I live a good life, if I really serve hard after God, I'm going to live a long time and be blessed. And if I were to tell you chapter and verse on that one, you would actually have good reason to be confident. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40, it says this, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Oh, I serve God, do it well, live a long time. Okay, I like this. You go another chapter, you're going to get another one. You're going to get another bonus verse. Deuteronomy 5.16 says this, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live long, that may go well with you in the land your God is giving you. Okay, so I have to serve God, obey mama, and send him a birthday card and a Father's Day card. And I live a long time? Good to go. Love it. But the big verse that I always go to, like, is actually in Proverbs, written by King Solomon. He says this, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Now, we love that. You know, the good guys live a long time, bad guys die. We love that when that happens. But Solomon says, what happens when it doesn't work that way? What happens when it's in God's plan that those who are righteous die quick and those who are evil live seemingly way too long? And you know, there's a good example. In 2 Kings, every year when I listen to the Daily Audio Bible, I listen to Brian read it to me every day. We listen to Daily Audio Bible. It's great. Brian reads a little bit of the Daily Audio Bible every day. Listen to it 365. You have the whole Bible in one year. My family all listens to it. My parents, my grandmother, age 99, she can't read anymore. She listens to the Daily Audio Bible. Brian read this about a month ago, and every time this verse comes, it feels like fingernails scratching down a chalkboard because I don't like how it reads. It says this. We're talking about King Manasseh. King Manasseh reigned longer than any other king in Judah, 55 years. Saul, David, and Solomon each reigned 40 years. Those are some pretty good guys, but Manasseh was more evil than anyone. Witchcraft, idolatry, sorcery, he was the pinnacle, the epic pinnacle of witchcraft in Judah. And this is what it says. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end Besides the sin that he caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And whenever I read that verse, I think of the families who were killed innocently in year reign, maybe reign a year number five or six. If your family was innocently killed by King Manasseh in year number six, you're wanting justice now. But you know what? You're probably going to be long dead before it's over. You're probably never going to see justice in your lifetime. And that always makes me a little sad. It's like, how does that work? And I wish I had a good answer for you, but I don't. But this is one example where, where an evil person lives way too long, gets away with way too much in my mind, and it makes me feel bad. 
but I still have to choose that God has a plan. And this is the hardest piece of, of scripture for us to, to accept. When bad people live way too long and seemingly don't get justice and it doesn't make sense, I guarantee you that's the worst possible place for us to be, which is why I think it's important for us to go back to our theme. Because we got it, we got to, you know, I got to resuscitate you because we are just, we just hit bottom, submarine bottom. And here's this you will keep in perfect peace he whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Because when you go through the toughest times of life, there may not be answers, but there is a God. Congratulations, you just hit the bottom. Now we get to go up from here, okay? Breathe. Okay, breathe. Okay. Because if bad people live way too long, there is an example of, of a righteous person who lived way too little. That paradox is seen nowhere better than in Jesus Christ himself. There was no one who followed the statutes of God more. There's no one who honored his father and mother more. There's no one who feared the Lord more than Jesus. And 33 and a half years was it. That's all it took. He was in ministry for less time than most of your kids will be in high school. And if you went to the funeral of your friend that only lived 33 and a half years, most often they would say he died before his time. And yet, 33 and a half years was exactly the right amount of time for God to accomplish his will through Jesus. 33 and a half years. It says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And you know, you may wonder, boy, godly people dying too quick is bad. Well, this one worked out pretty good. And you know, by complete design, we can trust that God has his hand, finger work, handprints on every situation in our life. But then Thomas Boston went on to talk about if you're trying to get out of your troubles, there are four traps that Ecclesiastes talks about with us when we don't trust God, when we're not looking to him, when we try to do it on our own, you're probably going to run to one of four traps. And he talks about this. Ecclesiastes 7, 16 to 17 says, don't be overrighteous, Neither be overwise, why destroy yourself? Do not be over wicked, do not be a fool, why die before your time? So four traps. They're on polar opposites of each other. They're meant to be, you know, north and south, east and west. So on the first pair, we have what we call overrighteous, and when you think of that, Thomas Boston said, think self-righteous. Self-righteous people are people who add, who follow all the rules of God plus all their own rules of God that they think God might have and bundle it all up. And if I do all these rules, then God's forced to bless me. Self-confident people are simply people who work really, really hard on this side of the equation, and they have their own rules. It's not really God's rules. It's just a lot of my own rules. These are folksy people that have got a lot of good common sense, and they work really hard too. And Ecclesiastes says you'll typically go one way or the other, really self-righteous, really self-confident. Which camp do you fall in? I grew up in this camp right here. <laughs> Self-righteous. Little story. I grew up at Central Bible Church. It's on 88th and Northeast Gleason. Don't know if you know it or not, but from 1955 to 1975, Central Bible Church was the largest church west of the Mississippi. In many ways, it started the megachurch movement. And it was a great church. I lived in that church. 
And when I was in second grade, I started going there in 1973. And let me tell you how self-righteous people live, okay? You come to church 15 minutes early and leave 15 minutes late. The church doors are open. You're there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday, and any other time they have the church doors open. Men wear suits. Women wear dresses. And if your dress is above the knee, you will be asked to leave for indecency. No comment. Okay, you are saying hymns because hymns were God's messages. And you only use the organ and the piano because the, de because the guitar was the devil's music. And uh, no joke, Leanne and I were the very first people to play guitar music at Central Bible Church. Okay, it was 1983. We'd been dating for a year. I'd been a really good kid at Central Bible Church for years. They all knew Leanne and I. And I petitioned the deacon board for two years to be able to play uh, what a friend we have in Jesus and blessed assurance. I finally got the approval after two years. I was allowed to finger pick it, no strumming, because that's the devil's music kind of thing. I could finger pick those two hymns, July, Sunday evening service, 50 people, okay? It still sent shockwaves through a church of 2,000. Here's the upside. The upside of this church, of which I am extremely grateful for being, raising here, is that when I went to Sunday school, every year we learned 150 verses. And my mom and dad enrolled us in Bible Memory Association, which caused us to have to learn an extra 200 verses per year. We learned about 350 verses every year from the first grade to the eighth grade. My Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, not even the preachers, the Sunday school teachers taught us theology. I know 80% of what I know by the eighth grade. We have to work really, really hard. Central Bible Church built Chalk Creek Bible Camp with volunteer, with volunteer help. Let me ask you this. If I donated 80 acres up on the Washuga River, had all the materials donated, and I needed 100 men to donate every weekend for the next two years to build cabins, lodge, swimming pool, facilities to help kids coming back from GIs from the war, could I get 100 men to volunteer every weekend for two years? Yeah, your hesitancy gives you away. It'd be tough sell. I know John Borman would be there and Mark Howard would be there, but I need 98 more. Central Bible did. Central Bible built Multnomah School of the Bible, too. Same deal. They work really hard. You know why they work really hard? Because they're scared. They're scared they're not going to be good enough. They're scared they're not going to know enough. They're, they're scared that if they do something wrong, God's going to hit them. I lived in that world for a long time. Now, praise Jesus, I'm about right here in the middle. I love Gateway because it's, it's not just don't do anything, but it's good. It's going to push you. That's the trap over here. We don't want to be self-confident either. That's a trap I lived in, and I'm praise Jesus I'm not there, but you could be there too. But there's a second trap that Ecclesiastes talks about, and that is just being over wicked or being a fool. Now, I don't know that there's a lot of people like that here, but if you're dealing with that, over wicked just means acting with evil intent, and foolish just means just being stupid, okay? You know, just, just acting without thinking. And Ecclesiastes tells you plenty about what it means to be a fool. And this, and here's what Ecclesiastes said. Ecclesiastes 10, 2 to 3 says, a wise person chooses the right road, a fool takes the wrong one. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the road. Okay, you know, just, just by the way they wear their pants, wear their hat. Whoa, okay, all right. Maybe I should back up. Whoop, control delete on that one, sorry. That got away from me. Go ahead. Don't write me any emails on that one. Okay, but you know, you can tell. So there's two traps. Sometimes if you're dealing with troubles, you just say, you know, 
I'm just going to get there first. On the other hand, it says, if it doesn't really matter, I don't have to think about my life. I just do whatever I feel like comes into my head. That's the way to deal with trouble. And Ecclesiastes says, don't do either of those. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote to troubles? It's in the last verse of our text tonight of Ecclesiastes. And it says this. It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Now, if you didn't catch it, you just got hit with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball by Jewish poetry. I told you that Jews, Jews have a way of writing poetry that give you the antidote, a word picture, and an answer all at the same time. He just gave it to you in 14 words. And here's what he says. It's good to grasp the one but not let go of the other. And what does he mean by that? Oftentimes, I spend all my time not being self-righteous. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be self-righteous. And I don't know whether who's got control of what. But Solomon says this. Better idea. Grab this one, but don't let go of this one. And now you're on opposite sides. Okay, don't be self-confident. Don't be, don't be self-righteous. And now, what ends up happening? I'm in the middle. Solomon just painted for you a word picture of someone who's in balance. And now what are you available for? You're available to say, okay, God, I'm here. Now what? He says, I want you to learn to fear me. I want you to learn to revere me. I want you to learn to be in balance. Don't be over wicked. Don't be a fool. Those two opposite polarizations put you in a position like this. Sometimes we come to God like this. Hey, I want to know what's happening with my life. I need some answers here. God says, no, 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 no. So King Solomon says, do this. You put your arms out wide, and now you say, okay, God, now what? Where do you want me to go? This is a place of vulnerability. This is a place of learning. This says, I'm going to give up my agenda, and I'm going to put myself in a physical position that might put me more in a spiritual position to say, okay, God, you call the shots. Thomas Boston had the same thing to say. Let me do this. We're a bit behind. Seven reasons why God... Uh, Thomas Boston said this. Seven reasons God makes some things crooked. We don't have time to go through all seven. So I thought I'd just give you the seventh one that Thomas Boston gave as his last sermon before he died. He said this. It is not our responsibility to always figure out why God has put some particular crook in our lot. It is simply enough to trust him that God knows why it is there. Which brings us right back to our verse that we started off with. It said, Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And the question for you, the question for me, is do we spend far too much time demanding an answer of God of when he's going to solve our problem, or are we going to trust the God to walk us through it, whether or not he tells us why we're here or when it's going to be over? And that is a hard message. Go ahead and you can close your Bibles, because I always like to tell a story at the end. Whenever I think of this, <clears throat> I think of a story of a friend of mine who grew up in eastern Washington and uh, 
grew up between Pullman and Spokane, surrounded by ranchers. And like all good high school kids, high school boys, they would work for the ranchers in the summertime. And there was one rancher in particular who was well known for his car buying habits. And he would come into town every two years, buy himself a new pickup truck. And when he'd come into town, he'd always come in with his boots and his hat. And he'd always have two things when he'd come and buy his new truck. He'd have a pen and a hammer. And when he'd have a pen, he'd come in and he'd write out the check for his new pickup truck because ranchers always pay cash for their trucks. And then with the hammer, he'd go out and he'd get it ready to go to work. He'd take a look at his pickup truck and he'd kind of walk around it. This is a true story, okay? I'm making this up. Walk around his new pickup truck, take a look at it. Looks pretty good, looks pretty good. The older salesman had seen this routine a time or two before and he'd see that all of a sudden, He'd come alongside the back fender and give it a bang. Come along the back tailgate and give it, a shh, give it a little scratch on the back. Come along the sidewall, give it another bang. And then just to top it all off, he'd take his hammer and he'd throw it across the hood of the truck and let it drop on the floor. Now the salesmen that are inside had all seen this before and they were like, whoa, they couldn't hardly believe it. Brand new truck. And there was always one salesman, though, that wouldn't, wouldn't have seen this before. And as he's bending down to pick up his hammer, he'd say, yep, yep, she's ready to work. Just then that salesman would come out, what are you doing, what are you doing? That's a brand new truck, what are you doing with the truck? And then that ranch would have to turn around and give that salesman the new car truck. Son, I bought this truck with my own money. And the way I see it, son, if I bought it with my own money, I can do with it as I please. Now, son, I ain't trying to hurt this truck. I'm just trying to get it ready to do some work. I say, I know that you got people that come in and buy trucks and put them in their garage. They shine them up, drive them down paved roads, keep them all nice and safe so they can show them off to their friends and neighbors. Well, son, I got different plans for my truck. My truck's going down paved roads, gravel roads, and dirt roads. Son, I'm going to run this thing through potholes, mud holes, and old boulders. Yeah, we're going to get bumped into some trucks and tractors, trailers, a combine, and a barn door or two. But, son, if I've got to worry about every ding and dent it's going to get in its sidewall, son, we're never going to get anywhere. We're never going to get any work done. That's why I decided we'd get a couple of them dents out of the way right up front. Son, I ain't trying to hurt this truck. I'm trying to get it ready to do some work. Now, I've already got a lot of things to do today. I've got to get on down the road. So if you don't mind, I want to drive my new truck. But before we do, I'll tell you how we always roll with new trucks. I do all the driving. Everyone else rides shotgun. Know what I mean? And with that, he'd get back in his truck, and he'd fire up the engine, and he'd drive off the lot with his truck, dents and all, and leave that salesman just stunned and amazed at what that rancher just taught him. You know, I heard that story about 10 years ago. And you know, hardly a month goes by that I don't think about that story and about that salesman. And I think to myself, I think, man, I think I know why God gave me a truck for life. He gave me a truck to put it in my own garage, to, to shine it all up, keep it all nice and shiny, run it down paved roads and keep it all nice and safe. 
About the time that I'm all uh, thinking that why I know why God gave me a truck, God shows up in his cowboy boots and his hat and a hammer. And he starts walking around my life and he's like, hmm, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty shiny. Pretty shiny. Starts to hit a couple of bents in my fender. Comes keep walking around. Makes a big scratch on the back tailgate. Comes across, throws his hammer across the hood of my truck, lets it fall on the floor. And I can't even breathe. I'm going, God, what are you doing? He's picking up the hammer and he says, Ugh, just getting ready to work. He says, What are you doing? You're bringing your dent out of my car and my truck. And God gives me the new truck dog. Son, I bought this truck with the blood of my son Jesus. And the way I see it, if it's my truck, I can do with it as I see please. See, I'm not trying to hurt you, son. I'm trying to get you ready to go to work. Got to get some people saved. Now, son, I think you think I gave this truck to you to put in your garage, shine it up, and impress all your friends. Son, I'm going to take your truck. We're going to run it down paved roads, gravel roads, and dirt roads. Son, I'm going to run you through potholes and mud holes and boulders. Son, you're going to get bumped into some tractors, trailers, and some barn doors, but son, if I've got to worry about every ding you're going to get in your sidewall, son, we're never going to get any work done. We're never going to get people saved. And besides, if you want to see some dents in a truck, you haven't seen anything until you've seen the truck of my son, Jesus. He's got a couple of big holes right here in his hand, a couple of big holes in his feet, and a great big gash right here in his sideboard. And I'm telling you, I know, because I was driving his truck up Calvary 2,000 years ago, and son, I'll tell you straight up, we got kind of banged up that day, but it worked out all right because on the third day, I raised my son, Jesus, from the dead, and he sits at my right hand, and we do everything together from all eternity past, present, and future, and because of his death and resurrection, I can buy any truck I want with cash, and whenever I do, my son and I give the owner the exact same deal. If I buy your truck, forgive your sins, I do all the driving, they ride shotgun. Now, I'll tell you, some of them people don't like that deal, and they turn me down flat. That's all right. I keep after them because if I want to buy someone's truck, I will. And they will submit to my deal, just like you did about four years ago. You weren't the easiest sale of my life, and yet you gave me the truck of your life about four years ago, right? And we've been driving ever since. I've been riding, driving, and you've been riding. We've gotten some miles done. We've gotten some people saved. Yeah, we got a couple of dents in our sideboard, but we got stories to tell, son. So I'm just trying to get you ready to go to work. We got things to do today. But before we go to work, I got one question I want to ask you. Look me in the eye and don't you lie to me. I'm going to be, ride, I'm going to be driving. You're going to be riding shotgun. You okay with that? And that's what he asks me every day. And I go, dear God, I want to drive the truck. I want to drive. I'm tired of riding shotgun. Ah! Then that's right when Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, I mean, uh, King Solomon is in this year with Ecclesiastes 7. That's when the prophet Isaiah 26 is in this year. And that's when Tom, Thomas Boston is just right in my face. And the three of them surround me and they tell me the exact same thing. They say, son, son, let him drive. He knows what he's doing. You can trust him in this one. Besides, he bought your truck with the blood of his son Jesus. Let him drive. I go, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's... I get some sense kicked back into me, and I think, yeah, you're right. I put my hat back on, look, back, look God right back in the eye, and say, you're right. 
You go ahead and drive today. I'm just grateful I get a ride shotgun. God says, that boy, you can hop in the cab with me. Let's go. Let's get some miles on. Let's go get some work done, some people saved. And who knows, son? We might even get a couple of more dents in our sideboard with stories to tell. What do you think about that? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for King Solomon. We're grateful for Ecclesiastes. Lord, we have tackled one of the hardest passages that I know of in your word. I pray, Lord, that as we've listened to you, that, Lord, we will have listened to what you want us to do, that, Lord, we would stop asking for answers and start wanting to hold your hand. I pray that just being with you would be enough instead of knowing what always is going to happen in our future. We're grateful for the, for the blood of your son Jesus that takes away all our sin. We're grateful that you're driving. We're grateful that we get a ride with you. And Lord, I just pray that you would be, be compassionate with all of us as we learn to do that a little better every day. In your name we pray. Amen.